Amen. You may be seated. Our God is a lion. He's roaring in battle. Every knee will bow. Come on now. Sometimes you have weeks that are hard where you've been battling and and people around you that you love, you know, are hurting and you don't always see the way out. And sometimes you just need something and somebody to remind you that this thing has already been won. Good morning, Fellowship High Chris. It's good to be with you in person this morning. And um, tell you what, if this is your first time visiting, we want to welcome you and thank you for for being our guest this morning. And uh, as I speak today, you'll see page numbers on the screen, and those page numbers correlate with the blue Bibles that you will find in your seat. And if if you don't have a Bible, then please take that one as our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible that's easy to read, then please take that one as our gift to you. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, then please take it and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. If you uh, if it would be easier for you to have a Bible in Spanish, we have those available. Um, Just raise your hand and and one of our ushers will get you a, a Spanish translation of the scriptures that we are using today. Um, because we want you to be able to um, dig into the word for yourself. Um, That is important for us. This week, we find ourselves in the final week of our sermon series, Living Hope. And I I told the worship team before we came out, it, it feels a little bit like Groundhog's Day and that I've been saying this for quite a while. Um. And so if you've missed any of the previous weeks, then I encourage you to go back either through our our website or our app and you can catch up on those messages. Um, And and throughout this series, we have walked through the books of first and second Peter. And um, this is great because I I love doing book studies because um, so infrequently in our society do we get large portions of scripture together. And so it's a great thing to get those. And so I want to get going this morning, and our focal passage as we close out this series is found on page 742, and it is 2 Peter 3, um, verses 11 through 15. 2 Peter 3, verses 11 through 15. And so um, if you were there, this is what, and I hope you are, this is what you will find it to say. Since everything around you is going to be destroyed like this. What holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hearing it alone, on that day, he will set the heavens on fire 
and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. This is God's word. The New Zealand National Rugby Union team, also called the All Blacks. Yeah, somebody somebody knows the All Blacks. Represents um, New Zealand and the Men's Rugby Union. Rugby is the national sport of New Zealand. And the team has won the last two Rugby World Cups in 2011 and 2015, as well as the inaugural tournament in 1987. They have a 77% winning record in Test Match Rugby and are the only international men's side with a winning record against every opponent. Since their international debut in 1903, they have lost only six, only to six of the 19 nations that they have played in test matches. The All Blacks jointly hold the record for the most consecutive match wins um, for any Tier 1 nation, along with England. But back in 2004, things were going bad. As a matter of fact, they were in the 2003 World Cup and they saw this early exit a lot like some other teams I know from tournaments. Not bitter at all. And in the following year, some of the senior players were threatening to leave. I mean, discipline was drunk and disorderly, and to make things worse, they were losing. The team had the same potential that it always had, but but it just wasn't being successful. You know, sometimes in life, we get beat and sometimes we lose. Do you understand what I'm talking about when I say that? Um, sometimes in life, you are prepared the best you could. You, you have used all the resources you had at your disposal. You have, have used all the training that you've received and you've run as possibly hard as you could toward the vision that's been given and you just don't make it. That's what we call getting beat. And then sometimes in life, you haven't prepared as well as you could. You haven't used all the resources at your disposal. You haven't used all the training that you received. And, and you haven't really ran as hard as you good, could toward the vision that's been given. And, and, and you don't make it. That's what we call taking a L. That's what it means to lose. And if we were honest with each other in this room this morning, then we would be able to say that there's been times in each of our lives where we have both been beaten and times when we have lost. There have been times when we have leaned the community and still failed. There have been times when we have resisted leaning into community, into the accountability and, and, and community that God has given us, and we have failed and lost. 
There have been times when we are focusing on God's word and, and trying to be godly in, in our words and our actions and still have room to grow in our communication with others. And then there are times when, when we give them a piece of our mind just because it makes us feel a little bit better. So none of y'all, none of y'all, all y'all good on y'all words. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, let, me, let me be real with you. In the sublet household, follow-up calls are regular. You know what? I didn't really mean to say that like that. There are times when we're guarding our hearts uh, through what we take in, and then there are times when we turn on Cinemax at night and we wonder why we're having the thoughts that we're having. There are times when we are actively watching what we eat, we're working out, and then we're still gaining weight. And then there's times when we're letting rents flow like milk and honey in the New Jerusalem. And then, I mean, there's times when we get beaten, and then there's times when we lose. Potential is defined as someone or something's ability to develop, achieve, and succeed. And, and then famed coach John Wooden defines success as this. He says, success is the peace of mind which is a direct result of the self-satisfaction satisfaction, and knowing you did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. The peace of mind. That you have when you have the self-satisfaction of knowing that you have become the best that you are possible and capable of becoming. When it comes to our relationship with God, uh, we have all the potential to be successful. You see, we can we can still be beat sometimes, oftentimes, and still be a success because we have peace in knowing that we did our best in being who God has made us to be in the moment in which we find ourselves. The question is, how do we close the gap between the potential we have in God and the success that we experience with God? How do we live every day with the peace of knowing that if today was our last day, that that we can have peace when we meet him because we did the best we could with what he had given us in the moment in which we lived. We know that, so to speak, where we left it all out on the field. Do you look at yourself in the mirror at night before while you're brushing your teeth, before you get in the bed and, and know that today I gave it everything that God gave me? How do we bridge that gap from all that God has given to how we actually live? These were Peter's last words in his, in his last written communication to this set of believers. When it came to following God and to fulfilling the mission that God has for his life, to advance in the kingdom of God, Peter's eligibility was nearly up as he was on his way to be crucified upside down. And as Peter closed this letter to this group of people that he loved, um, you can imagine him looking back over his life and, and thinking about the things that he's learned over his life and then distilling the most important things that he has gained and learned over this period of time into a couple of well-crafted sentences. Where does this get real? I, I have two friends this, that, that one lost their grandparent this week and one has been told within 24 hours they're going to lose their grandparents. And 
and I, and I bet you that as they think back over those things that their grandparents have said to them, they can remember things that their grandparents repeated to them over and over again. This is the kind of message that Peter was writing this morning. As we look at Peter's last words, we're, we're going to view them through the five principles for success developed by the All Blacks after the disappointing loss in the 2003 World Cup. You know, the indigenous Polynesian people of New Zealand have a word for extended family that is symbolized by the spearhead. And though the spearhead has three tips to be effective, all of its force must move in one direction. Not a single part of the spearhead should deviate from what bonds the team together. And the All Blacks, when they, when they go to select team members, they select not only based on talent, but also based on character, which means there's a number of really talented people who never get a chance to be on the national rugby team in New Zealand because they don't possess the character necessary. So to communicate this principle to all blacks, remind each other to follow the spearhead. This is where Peter begins his last words to this elect group of exiles um, on how to close the gap between their potential impact for the kingdom and the lives they actually live. In verse 11, he says this. He says that, that since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Now, now, one of the things we say is when we see a therefore or a sense or something like that at the beginning of a passage, what you should do is you should you should read up, right? To get that part of reading up, I invite you to go listen to the message from last week. <laughs> I have 30 minutes and not 60, so I got to go. To grasp what Peter is saying here, the first thing that we need to remember this morning is that Peter is writing to a group of believers about how they live out and fulfill um, the will of God in their life collectively in this place where they're outsiders. Therefore, it shouldn't be surprising that when we look at the scriptures this morning in verse 11, that you is plural. It's not a singular. Peter is writing to a group of people, not to a single person. And so when we look at this word, that word live is in the Greek present tense. Now, what does that mean? In the Greek present tense, when, when you have something that starts, it's saying it's going to keep repeating with no end in sight. So to grasp all of what Peter is saying um, in, this, in this scripture, this is what he's saying. That if his readers want to have peace when they individually meet God face to face, then they need to practice what he said earlier in this verse with a defined group of believers. He was saying that if they wanted to have peace when they individually met God, then they needed to practice what he had said earlier in this verse with a defined group of believers. Now, what did he say those things were? What did he say they should be doing? He said they should lead holy and godly lives. Well, what does that mean? Aren't those two the same things? Well, yes and no. In just a few words, Peter does um, such a great job at, at something that we do such a poorly job at some of the times. You know, oftentimes when we're teaching the word of God, when we're giving instructions, we focus so much of our time on what we should be avoiding and, and what we should stop doing and what we should be running away from. 
and we spend very little time on what we should be embracing and what we should start doing. But telling his readers that, that being successful meant being holy, he was telling them that they should continuously as a group as well as individuals look to separate themselves away from sin in order to please God. And in, in just one word, he, he says that in order to have peace, when you meet God face to face, at the same time that you're running away, that you're avoiding sin uh, uh, with a group of gospel centered believers, that you need to be focusing your life on living consistently with Christ, both individually and collectively. That's the all black principle of following the spirit. It's the same thing. Uh, we're all different people, each made uniquely and wonderfully in the image of God. But the thrust of our lives should be focused on how we collectively live with Christ. Have you structured your life in a way where, where those around you, your coworkers, your, your spouse, your family, your kids, your neighbors would say that the point of your life, that the, the spearhead of your life has been focused on not only how to avoid sin, but how to reflect the qualities of Christ through your words, your thoughts, your actions, both individually and with a defined group of gospel centered believers on a consistent basis. Are you following the spearhead? something to think about if we're going to bridge the gap. Former all-black Brad Thorne's mantra was champions do extra, and it helped him become one of the most successful rugby players in history. The philosophy simply means having a focus on continual improvement, the creation of a continual learning environment, and having a willingness to sacrifice for the cause. This was the next principle that Peter shared with his readers. In verses 12 through 13 of our focal passage, Peter explains how living consistently with Christ causes those same believers to live expectantly for eternity. And here's why that's the case. When you are in a right relationship with the coach and you are prepared for your opportunity, then you can't wait for the game to get here. You can't wait for it to be game time. You know, when you're afraid of the game to come is when you know that you're not prepared. When you know the outcome, when you know in the end that you win, then that gives you a competitive advantage. And the competitive advantage comes because you can already see yourself on a podium lifting the trophy high. And that image causes you to do everything that you can to bring that opportunity about. I mean, if I knew I had the winning lottery tickets, it ain't nothing that none of y'all in this room could do to get me from the store. I'm for real. But God know I ain't ready for that yet. I said, I can't, I can't mess with this, Jay. What does that look like spiritually for us? What does that look like spiritually? How do we as believers express expectancy in our living? Those who are living consistently with Christ show the recognition of Christ being the competitive advantage and demonstrate the expectancy they have by being people of prayer, 
by being people who share and being people who are willing to fade. Let me explain those. Does your prayer life look like that of someone who recognizes that God is our help? Does your prayer life demonstrate to those who know you well that Christ, that the Holy Spirit that lives in you, that the God who sits in heaven and looks low is your competitive advantage? Do you share the gospel like the message of a savior who gave his life to ransom sinners is an irresistible message? Or do you stay silent out of fear, doubting that the champion really is on our side? Do you live like today is your day or do you live with the realization that nothing about you or the world that we live in will be right, will be what it's meant to be until it's the Lord's day. And therefore, you begin to assume this important role that you were meant to have from the beginning by fading back from trying to be the star of life. A Christian realizes that the more that you put yourself as a support, the more that you take on the supporting role, the more that you give him supremacy, the more that you grow. Therefore, Christians are are all in the positions of seeking to accelerate the coming of the day of the Lord. We're looking for, we're, we're waiting for, we're trying to bring it about every day. Every day we're going about thinking about how can we make this the Lord's day instead of our day? Because if it's his day, then I grow more. We're living consistently. We're living expectantly. Then what else? You know, following their premature exit from the 2003 World Cup, we, the All Blacks worked with a forensic psychiatrist to understand how their brain works under pressure. They wanted to overcome their habit of choking. I wish I could work with somebody about that, boy. What she taught them was... When you're in a redheaded state, when you not not hair color, please don't email me. You're in a unresourceful state in which you are off task, panicked and ineffective, as opposed to being in a blue headed state. On the other hand, and it's in an optimal state in which you're on task and performing to the best of your ability. So they adopted the team principle of keeping the blue head. To do this, the All Blacks use triggers that help move them from being in a red-headed state to a blue-headed state. And so these players had all kinds of triggers that helped them go and achieve clarity and accuracy so they could perform better under pressure. In verse 14 of our focal passage, Peter informed his readers that as they seek to live consistently with Christ in in a sin-broken world, that they will be triggered. They'll have things that will happen to them that will try to draw them off task, that will try to help them become panicked, that will try to have them feel as if they have not been given the resources needed to be and do what God has intended for them to do. But in a world full of uh, triggers, Peter says that the challenge was keeping a blue head. It was to live persistently in purity and peace. He said, make Every effort to be found at peace with God. Make every effort to be found at peace with God. Make every effort to be found at peace with God. How does one 
follow God in a sin-broken world while living as an exile, while living in systems and structures that don't benefit them, that, that not, don't favor them, that, that don't uh, give them the advantage and keep a blue head. How does one do that? We do so by being content yet remaining unsatisfied. We, we, we overcome triggers by knowing what threatens to derail us from living a life of purity and peace and seeking ways to maintain the proper perspective. We, we do so by knowing the triggers in our life that seem to move us into states of panic, that seem to move us into times of feeling hopeless and helpless, by, by knowing what seems to move us into times of being off task with living consistently with Christ. Do you know those triggers in your life? Do you know the triggers that cause you to to become overly ambitious and feel like you have to be the star of the day that cause you to feel like you have to be the focus of attention? Now, here's the bigger question. Do those that that you're in biblical gospel center community with know these things? If not, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you're not taking advantage of the godly accountability, then you are set up to fail. We, uh, where there is no vulnerability, there is a lack of growth. If you fake community, then you'll have to continue faking having the peace that God has made available to those whom he calls his own. Do you have a life transformation group that you're a part of? If you fake community, if you fake vulnerability, then you have to fake peace. Before leaving the dressing room at the end of a game, if you were able to step inside the All Blacks locker room, what you will see them do, even the star of the team, is a thing called sweeping the shed. So you have these, the, the biggest stars in the country actually cleaning up the locker room before they leave every time. Now, that seems crazy when you think about a franchise that is dominant. The biggest stars in the country, sports athletes in the country. And when you walk into the locker room, not one, but everyone cleans up the locker room at the end of the game, at the end of practice. The reason they do it is because one of the core values of the all-black culture is humility. The all-blacks believe it's impossible to achieve incredible success without having your feet planted firmly on the ground. The way down is always the way up. Humility is always fundamental to success. Peter says this in the last verse of our focal passage for this morning. He says this, he said, and remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Now, give you a little background on this one. So in the book of Galatians, what you see is um, Paul had to rebuke Peter publicly for being a hypocrite. What was happening was um, before some other believers from the Jerusalem church arrived, Peter was in town and he was eating with the Gentiles. He was eating food that normally wouldn't be kosher. 
and he was congregating with them. He was chilling with them. But then when these other believers came around, he was like, oh, I can't do that no more. I can't I can't hang with y'all. That's not what we do. We don't eat like that. We don't talk like that. It's like if you drink a beer, but when certain people come around, you're hiding it behind the tire of your car. <laughs> Paul was calling them out for it. Paul told them to be you all the way you, all the time you. And stop trying to switch back and forth. So what happened is, is that other false teachers living in the area where, where, where these readers were living at, they were using Paul's writings to try to sow discord and disharmony and disunity, not only between Paul and Peter, but also inside the body. So, but Peter showed the humility to learn from his brother, um, one who was not originally a part of the 12. Now, get this. Peter was inside the inner three. So inside the 12, Peter was inside. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He got to see uh, Jesus' glory form, right? And all this. Paul was the one that was out trying to kill everybody. So if it came to like prestige and background and all these kind of things, right? Peter had it when it came to this Christian thing over Paul. And so he could have used his position and his name to just squash anything that that God was doing with Paul and to speak harm of him. But that's not what he did in this case. He said, hey, man, this brother is wise. I don't care what he used to be. I don't care where he came from. God is using him and we need to listen to him. What they were trying to do was they were trying to say they were trying to take a, a passage um, from what Paul had wrote, saying that since we had stepped across the line of faith and now had a relationship with our heavenly father based solely on the actions and life and death, burial and resurrection of Christ, then it didn't matter how we live. That's what those false teachers were trying to teach during that time. So but but here's the deal. That's not what Peter taught and that's not what Paul meant. I need you to understand that this morning. Yes, we are saved by grace alone, but how you live does matter. Peter knew that, and he also knew that God had gifted Paul with this tremendous wisdom that both he could learn from and that his readers could learn from. You know, some say that experience is the best teacher, but uh, the Christian rapper, the truth says that the person who believes that experience is the best teacher has a teacher for a fool. I want to let you know that if you could only learn from something that you experienced personally, you're going to make this Christian walk a lot harder than God ever intended it to be. Because he didn't mean for, mean for you to go through every trouble and trial and situation. But if you have to go through it to learn it, you're going to have a hard road. And please don't blame that on God. It's just not smart. And it shows a lack of humility. The smart Christian, the Christian that is living strategically with the gospel, shows maturity in that they're easily edified. Are you sweeping the shed? Who can you learn from? Do you need a certain singer singing or a certain style of music in order to be a part and engage in spirit-filled worship? Do you need a certain speaker speaking in a certain style in order to be engaged in the word? 
Do you wonder who is on this Sunday or do you ask, how does God need to prepare my heart for whatever he plans for me to be a part of, no matter who he uses that Sunday? Mature believers who are easily edified also are easily led and make better leaders. Peter had seen this over his time. This was Peter who, who, who snapped off all the time when he was with Jesus, always put his foot in his mouth, that was always um, speaking up first, that at the end of his life, he was saying, you need to chill out sometime. You just need to listen and follow sometime. If you can only be led or learn from certain people, then you're probably need a title to do whatever God is calling you to do. You'll probably um, only learn or listen to people from certain backgrounds. You'll probably only listen to people with certain degrees behind their name or certain amounts of people in the seats in front of them. And, man, you're going to miss out on so many things. I can remember things that my grandma taught me about what it meant to follow God, and she never stepped on the stage. The mature believer will have peace when they see God, knowing that they soaked up all the wisdom that he sent their way to help them fulfill his mission for their lives from all the various people, from all the different backgrounds and the different and diverse uh, forms and styles to be equipped for what he's called them to do. Peter's teaching on what bridges the gap between the potential that we have to make an impact for God and the lives that we actually live so that we could have peace when we see God face to face was this. That you're going to be living your best life when you live consistently with Christ, when you're living expectantly for eternity, when you're living persistently in peace and purity, and when you're living strategically with the gospel. Now, we, we start becoming when we step across the line of faith. We start becoming when we step across the line of faith, and we step across the line of faith when we admit that we don't always live the way in which Peter instructs in our focal passage this morning. But because God sent his son to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we couldn't die, all to pay the price that we couldn't pay, we can have peace when we see God face to face. We know we mess up, and that should cause concern. But the fact that we have a living hope in Christ should give us peace about the moment that we meet our God face to face. If you haven't made that commitment, if you haven't stepped across the line of faith, if you haven't said that, you know what, I ain't got it. I know I split a verb. I ain't got it. I can't do it. I can't be that consistent every day. I still struggle to make one day out of a week of the Lord's day, let alone every day the Lord's day. And so I need some help. I need someone who can do it for me because I can't do it for myself. If you've never made that commitment, then today can be your day. Today can be the day that that you give up trying to earn God's favor on your own and say, Jesus has done it. The victory has been won. The battle is already over. And I can rest in him. I can have peace in my relationship with the God of the universe because of a generous big brother. 
If that's where you're at today, I'm going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving, no special words, no special order of words. Just a prayer of thanksgiving. And I invite you to do that. Maybe you stepped across the line of faith and you haven't went public with your faith through baptism. I want to encourage you to do that. You can sign up for that at, at our welcome center out in the hallway, right by the front doors. We can help you schedule that. Baptism is the first and easiest step of obedience. If you want to know what it's like to start making the bridge, that's a good first step. That's a good first step. Each and every person in this room is made in God's image. You have value. You have dignity. You have worth. Not based on what you do, but based by who made you. Let's take potential off the shelf and see it in real life. Let's start enjoying the richness that we have in Jesus. Let's stop living out of need and start celebrating out of the lavishness we have in our relationship with the God of the universe. We don't have to live with a poverty mindset. Because we have everything we could ask for and more. And the God who sees us, the God who knows us, the God who loves us, and the one who bled and died for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for using your messenger, Peter. We pray that we find hope. And these letters that were sent to this group, living in a foreign place, living on the outside of the culture, but yet seeking still to be obedient. Father, if there's someone in this room and they were wrestling as they didn't know if they were going to come today. Somebody dragged them, somebody convinced them or bribed them and they, they came Or maybe they've been coming out of habit, but just have never moved, have never taken the step to trust in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be the day. That, yes, they can still have questions. Yes, they can say they can realize that they don't have it all together. But, Father, that they would realize that you're bigger than their questions and that Jesus had it all together so that they don't have to. Father, help us be a people who live consistently with your son, who looks forward to the day being his day, who share, who connect. And who love beyond our natural means. 
We pray these things in your darling son Jesus' name. Amen.